How did it all begin? How did the William Holden Wildlife Foundation begin? This is Stephanie Powers, and this is the William Holden Wildlife Foundation's podcast. Every journey begins with the first step. What a wonderful saying that is. I wish I'd said that. I wish I'd invented it. But whoever did put words together that were never more true. My first step into the complicated world of charitable enterprise was more of a leap of faith than a dainty step. I was impassioned by my conviction to keep alive the dream Bill had of creating an education center as a crucial component of the species conservation work of the game ranch he created. With the help, guidance, and local knowledge of his partner in the game ranch, Don Hunt, I discussed at length on a trip to Kenya how we might make this happen. We recognized that the only way to create an education program that would last long after we were dust would be to form a 501c3 public charity in the States that would become a NGO, a non-governmental organization in Kenya, and could be financed through donations and endowments that would last for at least a few decades after us. And it would be a living memorial to Bill. It sounded so easy and so logical, so I left Kenya with the joy of naive enthusiasm to return to the States and begin the journey. Success in show business, and probably most businesses, depends a great deal on luck. And I must have been one of the luckiest girls in show business because I had a wonderful support team. My lawyers, Paul and Leo Ziffrin, were enormously influential and handled some of the most powerful clients in Hollywood. So I am eternally grateful that they considered to take little me under their wing. Forming a 501c3 public charity requires not only reams of paperwork, but a solid platform of bylaws and a detailed financial plan, none of which I had any knowledge of how to produce. But I was embarking on what would become a master's degree in all of the above. And I had great teachers. I began fundraising for the William Holden Wildlife Foundation the day we received our approval from the IRS in 1982. I was working on the television series Heart to Heart. Mr. Hart was played by my favorite acting partner and darling friend, Robert Wagner, who kicked off the fundraising with my very first check. It was a big one, and I was overwhelmed by his generosity. That following weekend, our producer Leonard Goldberg and his wife gave a dinner party and sat me next to Gordon McClendon, who owned lots of radio and TV stations in Texas and the Midwest and who loved hunting in Africa. Mrs. Goldberg whispered to me to talk to him about the foundation. And so I did. All through the first course and the main course, I jabbered away 
all about the things we were going to teach, the emphasis on biodiversity, featuring wild species, and how preservations of species diversity protected the food chain, impacted on wildlife, human health, and the health of the planet. I went on and on, and he did not seem to be bored. As a hunter, what I didn't realize was that he was also a conservationist. And during dessert, he tapped his glass and said, I've had a very interesting conversation with Stephanie. And as he pulled his checkbook out of his jacket, he said, Gentlemen, I'm writing a check. How about you? I was off to a fantastic start. One thing was crystal clear in my mind. Above all, I was determined that the generous people who believed in me and gave me money out of their pockets, some rich pockets, some not, gave me money because they trusted me. They trusted that I would use it wisely and for the purpose it was given. I looked at this as a sacred trust and I vowed that I would, for the rest of my life, cover all the overhead costs allowed me by the IRS. So I could look into the eyes of my donors and say that 100% of what they gave goes to the work they donated for. I'm happy to say that this vow, made all those years ago, still prevails. And I take a personal interest in all our donors who we encourage to take a personal interest in us and in the work they sponsor. It took a year to build the education center in Kenya that would serve as the fulcrum of our operations, providing the administration offices, library, lecture hall, outside installations, as learning tools that demonstrate alternative use of solar energy, biogas fuel, handmade fuel briquettes made of refuse materials, a model garden and compost area, a tree nursery using indigenous trees that provide multiple benefits as fodder, windbreaks, fuel, and other resources. Our llamas provide a living example of biodiversity. Our lecturers present a variety of programs that cater to the age and sophistication of our visitors. Using our whiteboard as an interactive teaching tool, as well as a large collection of videos, we can both entertain and inform. We have an overnight camping area for 60 students, which includes a kitchen and cooking facilities, all designed for maximum efficiency and sustainability as are our toilets and showers, heated by solar energy. All groups must be accompanied by teachers or parents, and guidelines for visits must be upheld so as not to confuse this educational experience with a holiday. Included in our activities is a field trip to the forest and to the animal orphanage at the Mount Kenya Wildlife Conservancy, formerly the Game Ranch. The Education Center hosts roughly 11,000 visitors a year and is the base of our outreach program, which hosts roughly an additional 6,000 people and students. 
The outreach program began by accident. Our lovely education center had been built and was running smoothly for several years when finally my own house was finished construction on the game ranch, and along with my personal effects, I moved in with four horses. Both the Foundation's Education Center and my house are located on the slopes of Mount Kenya at an altitude of 7,000 feet above sea level. We're bisected by the equator, which means that our seasons are in reverse and water goes down the drain in an opposite direction than it does in California. At that altitude, it also takes far longer to boil an egg or water in general, and cooking is an adjustment. But once having adjusted, life can proceed normally. One day, my horse groom and I were riding the horses up the slopes of Mount Kenya. Each one of us was riding a horse and had one horse on a lead. So the four horses galloping up the fire trails must have made quite an impression because people ran out of the forest to watch this spectacle and children began screaming and running after us because they'd never seen horses before. As the children ran after us, both my groom and I were concerned that it might spook the horses, so when we saw an opening in the bush, we rode off the trail through the opening and landed in the middle of a primary school. The students were paralyzed with fear at our rather abrupt entrance. So I got down from my horse and began speaking with the kids when their teachers arrived. I introduced myself and my groom And I explained that we had the education center on the road below the forest gate. As they showed me around the little school, whose wooden classrooms were barely held together by wires, I saw that they had so few resources in the whole school that there was only one map, the map of Kenya, no map of Africa, and no world map. So I couldn't show them where I came from when I said that I was from half a world away. These children came from parents who worked in the forest, cutting trees and planting seedlings. They lived in makeshift huts, which served as temporary housing while the seedlings in their care grew into trees. The parents were allowed to cultivate the rich forest soil and sell their crops, mostly potatoes, in town. On occasion, elephants would come out of the forest and dine on the vegetable gardens, as did monkeys and antelopes of all kinds. Here in our backyard was a perfect example of the human-animal conflict. Here was a population we had not considered, and it was as if a light went on in my brain. Of course we should be addressing these people and other rural areas where humans regard wildlife as pests and wildlife regard humans as interlopers. It was at this point that we employed Miss Heather Eaves as our first education officer. This story continues on our next podcast. Please join us. And be sure to like and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And remember... Wildlife is the echo of our own existence. This is Stephanie Powers.